4: Welcome to StageCraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of Broadway's hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and live from BroadwayCon. I'm your host, Gordon Cox, and I'm going to be joined today by some of the fine people behind the new Broadway musical, Mrs. Doubtfire. Now, Mrs. Doubtfire, of course, is based on the hit 1993 film comedy that starred Robin Williams and Sally Fields, and the musical is fresh off its record-breaking run at the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle. Uh, it opens on Broadway this spring. It starts performances at the Stephen Sondheim March 9th, but before that, we're going to talk to um, whoops. We're going to talk to the folks uh, behind the show. So please join me in welcoming director Jerry Zaks. Choreographer Lauren Lotaro. And actors Charity Angel Dawson, Jen Gambatese, and Mrs. Doubtfire himself, Rob McClure. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. Hello. Nice for being here. So let's get the elephant in the room out of the way first, which is Rob. Excuse me! <laughs> Robin Williams. He holds a very special place in not only sort of the history of comedy, but in a lot of fans' hearts. Like, he's just beloved. What's it like to try and fill those shoes? I can't. I know.
5: I never will. So I am as big a fan of Robin Williams as anyone. And something that was really important to me, so I had to assume it was important to the fans... Is to honor that performance. Mrs. Doubtfire exists now as an entity, as a, as a person, um, outside of Robin Williams' performance. You know, it's, it's an amazing character that he created. And I know that you all have a warm and fuzzy compor- compartment of your heart that has a certain expectation of what she sounds like, of what, you know, all of the things that he created. And um, so I knew that I had to fulfill an expectation that I knew you would have, because I have the same one. And then, it, once I feel like you trust me with it, I can take that character new places. I feel like Daniel Hillard could be mine, um, but Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, I, I had to share with the incredible performance that he created, because I feel like, I'm, uh, who doesn't want to honor something as timeless and legendary as, as what he did? Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to copy it, but it means that I, I'm i going to fulfill the the expectation in a way that I think... Gives you permission to come on a new ride with me.
4: Yeah, and do you? What's the sort of mechanics of that for you as an actor? Did you watch the movie when you got the part, and then never watch it again, or did you not watch the movie? Like, how did you? I've think seen about the movie hundreds as, of times when I was a
5: kid. I was obsessed with the movie. So when people said, "Did you watch the movie?" I don't have to. I, I, I have, If I close my eyes right now, I can see it from start to finish. I really, I know that movie so well, um, and more than, more than you know, the specifics of the voice or the accent or line readings, I remember how the performance made me feel. And that was the thing I felt like I needed to tap into, the way that that character made me feel. Um, so I started, started there. And luckily, I'm a, McClure is a Scottish name, and my, my dad tells me that my, my great-grandmother on that side had a brogue. So I think Mrs. Doubtfire was in here
4: somewhere. Was there a moment where you feel like you really discovered your Mrs. Doubtfire?
5: You know, there's a line uh, from the film that's that's not in the musical um, because it's the musical's been updated. It takes place today. Um, so the ad that she places is online, as it would be. But um, in the movie, it's in the paper. And there's a line from the film that is just so tenderly spoken and the, has the lilt of the brogue. And it's, um, uh, I'm calling in regards to the ad I read in the paper. <laughs> Something about the lilt of regards to the ad I read in the paper that I something about the lilt of that line that anytime I need to get into that frame of mind and voice backstage calling in regards to the ad I read in the paper (laughs) here we go you know what I mean it's like there's something that locks you in
4: and then this is sort of a question that we can open up to all of you what how did you use the inspiration the movie as an inspiration and then how did you go about sort of forgetting all that or honoring it or however you thought about it and then making it your own. What was that process like?
2: Well, I've actually done a few different shows that started as movies, footloose, hairspray. Um, So I've always found same as Rob, you know, it's, it's about honoring the spirit of it. Um, And, and we're so blessed with this show that the, the writing is so fantastic. It's its own thing. So I don't re- refer back to the movie. I've, I've watched it. I love it. It holds a special place in my heart. But I just like to encounter the piece like as it exists in front of me. And then, of course, Jerry Zach helps us. <laughs>
1: Jerry Zax. <Zaks. laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's a great question. And uh, it starts with the script. It really starts with the script. Um, clearly, the writers were inspired by the film as... Are all of us, you we know? We should mention the
4: writers, by the way, yes, because they uh, could, could not be here tonight, but they are uh, Wayne Kirkpatrick and Carrie Kirkpatrick, are the composers, and Carrie Kirkpatrick and John O'Farrell wrote the book. That's you right. know them from a show called Something Rotten? Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good for you guys, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're great writers, you know, and so they attacked this, and the first draft was completely wrongheaded, so we sat down and said, why would you want to start your show about Mrs. Doubtfire? Go ahead.
4: I was yes. just going to ask what was wrong-headed well,
1: about it. Well, it started with an, uh, the very first draft I read was uh, involved in a group of improvisational players led by Daniel who were putting on a show, and it somehow, I, I don't remember, but it it felt very much like a group of improvisational actors saying, <laughs> hey, here we are, and we're going to do a show for you. It was very meta, very Mickey Mouse Club, literally. Sort of felt like the musketeers were on stage, and it was... Listen, a first draft is a first draft, and it's really important that you dive in somewhere. And I just, it, reading the first draft made me go back to the film just to observe its structure and the sequence of events. And, you know, and Daniel gets into trouble in the movie because he's impulsive, he's unafraid to make mistakes, and he's also got a moral stand. And so he improvises something and he gets fired, you know? Why would you not want to start the show with something that relates to that and uh, we were blessed because our writers really understood that grabbed it and have flown with it and we're still in the process of making the show even better it's wonderful to get a second shot after Seattle
5: I will say we do start with the song Figaro but not in the way it's used in the film so it's a wonderful surprise as to uh,
4: why I'm singing Figaro in, in our Broadway context
2: it's good <laughs> <laughs>
4: What do you feel like, Jerry, you've worked on a whole lot of musical comedies back from Guys and Dolls, and you just did Hello, Dolly, which was a great big success, and he's got, he's got... <laughs> feel free, really. He's got will, the music man coming up with Hugh Jackman, so he knows a, he knows a thing or two about musical comedy. So what do you feel like makes a good musical, and then this is a question for all of you, what's added to the experience of Mrs. Doubtfire when you musicalize it?
1: Well, you know, I'll just jump in, but, you know, music can transport you in a way that you know, only music can. And I think, uh, I think the addition of music to the story elevates the story and it makes it easier. It's really critical that we fall in love with these folks, that we fall in love with Rob at the beginning of the show, that we fall in love with Miranda, that we understand and care about these people because I've always believed that the sound of laughter is the sound of an audience falling in love. And you need to fall in love with the characters so that when things happen to them, you care. I mean, it sounds like a math equation, but it's true. It really is. So, that's what that's what sort of guided us all along the way. You know, I don't know if I answered your question, Gordon. Yeah, definitely. No,
5: and I will say, I think the composers were really brilliant in the choices of moments they chose to musicalize. And I, it feels to me like the score. How many of you saw our first look yesterday? Okay, great. So, so the, song, the, the song What the Hell from the kids, you know, that bridge of What the Hell where they see how the pictures have changed on the wall. That mom has taken down the pictures of the full family and replaced it with just her and the kids. I feel like that emotional core is from which the music sprung. It's, it's the, the, the hearts of those children amidst this ugly divorce. That is where the strings come from. You know when they're when they 're orchestrating this thing it 's from that emotional place, so I feel like the entirety of the score is sort of birthed from that uh, very real uh, emotional core of that story so they they've, Wayne, Wayne and Carrie are brilliant musicians
4: we, uh, the, sorry the whole everyone here was talking uh, just before this panel, and it seems like everyone here really responded to and was re- surprised by the reaction in Seattle to the really strong emotional resonance of this story about divorce and people and a family sort of moving on in a different form. Um, Is that, uh, tell me more about that. Jen, it sounded like you were about to say something about that.
2: Well, um, we were sharing, Charity and I have a a shared friend um, who had come to see the show in Seattle, and she came with her um, mom and and stepdad and stepdad and step the whole step clan. <laughs> and um that have been a family for a long time now, but still after the show she was like really gutted um from her own experience of her parents divorcing. And everything turned out happy, but she said as like the, the kid inside of her still felt that pain of you want mom and dad to get back together. And I think out in Seattle, you know, everyone comes to the show knowing they're going to laugh and they're going to just experience this joy ride, but they're really um, surprised by how deeply tender the, the piece is and how moved they are, and that was kind of surprising to the degree, I yeah, think.
3: and for me, like, I had a moment myself on stage during the show at, at a point, because, um, you know, my, my parents divorced when I was one, and um, I had a moment uh, when, you know, Rob, as Mrs. Doubtfire is, you know, saying something at the end of the show, and I'm sitting on stage listening, and I just start to weep. And it's just that, and I was like, you lack nothing. You've never lacked anything. That As long as there's love, that, that that's all that, that, that matters, you know, and there's love. There was that love in my home, so, you know, so I was sitting on stage like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be playing, yeah. you know, playing the social worker and I'm sitting there crying, you know, yeah. because it does have such an impact because we've, a lot of us have been affected and touched, you know, by that, by, you know, by divorce, you know, it's affected... You know, a number of us, and so I feel like it really did resonate a lot with with the audience.
5: And the, and the the family aspect in our show goes well beyond divorce in exploring unconventional family in a 2020 world. Um, uh, the Harvey Firestein role from the film is Brad Oscar for us. Um, yeah, he's a br- brilliant, and uh, and his partner is played by Jay Harrison G, who did Kinky Boots, who's amazing. Um, but uh, there. They are much more a part of this story, and and them as a couple, uh, them wanting to start their own family. This is this is all expansions on the plot from the film that um, give us a, a really wonderful way to redefine family in a 2020 world using the Mrs. Doubtfire story. And you know, for anyone who's curious as to like you know why almost 30 years later do you want to do Mrs. Doubtfire, this that these answers are why and why in these meetings with this creative team you see the power this story has to cut to the heart of family and what it means to be a family in a way that's timeless, especially when you know, the divorce rate is higher than ever. Um, so, uh, and, and, uh, and fam, the definition of family is expanding, thankfully. Uh, and the show is, is there to remind us of that. It's really, it's
4: really special. Lauren, tell us a little bit about uh, your work in the show. It's a, yeah. um, Mrs. Doubtfire doesn't necessarily scream a dance musical to us. but <laughs> Wait you see so it. Tell, uh, Yeah. Well, <laughs> but tell us how dance works its way into the story and how you uh, sort of created the movement language for the show.
0: I think there's... Uh, the style runs the gamut. As far as style goes, there's some tap dancing. And though Robin Williams was extraordinary, Rob McClure taps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, um, there's tap dancing, there's crumping, there's hip-hop, there's a little K-pop reference. So it really does all kinds of things. How do, you,
4: how do you decide what you draw on when you're sort of creating the dance world of a show?
0: The music helps dictate the style and also, but the emotional state of the characters are always where I start. So, you know, I stay away from watching the movie. Same thing with Waitress. I stayed away from watching the movie and I just read the script, like Jerry said. And then you sort of as a choreographer, you're looking in between the words to try and say, you know, in the opening number, she's talking about why she what Miranda wants to divorce her husband. She's sitting in a in a at a um, therapy session and um, therapy. And she's, you know, but so then I'm writing down these other, you know, things like why, what happens at home? You know, she's probably cooking dinner, answering the phone, writing the monthly checks for the mortgage, changing a baby's diaper, you know, putting away groceries. And then that became the choreography. So some of it comes from that place. And some of it comes from, you know, when this woman is singing the way only charity can sing, you know, it's, you want to move in a certain way. So.
4: Does Mrs. Doubtfire dance differently from Daniel? Uh, <laughs>
0: um, I think
5: wh- uh, Daniel. I think Daniel. Um, <laughs> it depends whether anyone around knows he's Mrs. Doubtfire at the moment. <laughs> if he's by himself, yeah, then she. <laughs> um, but uh, you'll be surprised at the situations Daniel finds himself in that uh, that requires him to dance. <laughs> the opening of Act Two. Oh, good lord! Um, uh, but it's it's really it's it's a blast, and and you know there are, there are fun moments from the movie, believe it or not, that did spawn ideas for choreography. Like I remember Lauren coming up to me and saying, "Like, hey, do you remember that two seconds in the movie when Mrs. Delphier is dancing with a vacuum? What's the Broadway version of that?" And you're like, "Okay." And and you know, what
4: is the Broadway version of
5: that? How do you figure you that we'll out? Can you tell yes, us? Yes. <laughs> okay. No, it's um, you know it. it how we arrive at that moment. It's that, that's such a beautifully crafted moment. It's toward the end of act one where, um, it's a song called rockin' now when things, you know, the, the, um, the disguise is, is going well. People are buying it and he thinks he's hot stuff. Um, and it leading into the transformation, you know, you, you, you see me transform into Mrs. Doubtfire and then go right into these iconic sort of, uh, things, you know, and then it grows from there in a way that's really exciting. Um, because again, it's it's about tapping into the nostalgia from the film and then surprising you with where we take it, which is
4: so fun. Um, Rob, you mentioned a little earlier uh, the idea of sort of thinking about the story of Mrs. Doubtfire in 2020, which yeah. brings up a couple of sort of thoughts. And I wondered if I could talk to a couple of the uh, actresses who play the two women in uh, Rob's life, because one of the things. Movies of a certain age, you know, you sort of feel like, well, maybe in in this case, perhaps the women are not fully realized characters. And how do you make sure that they are, with our understanding of what representation needs to be now, how do you make sure that every character on stage is a fully living person and not a prop or a plot point or a caricature or whatever? So um, Jen and Charity, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the work that you both did and that the writers have done to sort of make sure that uh, your characters are these have these full rich inner lives.
2: Well, I think that's something that Broadway does better than Hollywood in some ways for the female actors um, that we are can be more fully realized. Certainly, that's the case for me as Miranda in this show. Um, I have, you know, I have he has Robin's Hughes to step into and I have Sally Fields. And um, but I'm given a lot more, I think, to work with than she was given in the in the film. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And again, it goes back to the writers. They, they're they just so sharp and keen and human, um, the, both the music and the book. It's just so human, and they do a great job of... Fleshing out Miranda, so I've I've been given it on the page, which is a gift.
3: Yeah, same. Um, the, my character in the movie has a really small small part. Yeah,
4: she's barely. I watched the movie uh, in preparation for this, and yeah. she doesn't have much of a part. Right? She doesn't have much. She's of got a part. the scene with the frosting on the face, but that's about it, right? But
3: even that, even in that scene in the movie, like she's like you know like, like putting it on her face and all this kind of stuff. But I feel like the writers and Jerry they've done a, a really great job at at it understanding her purpose. And that's one thing that really helped me, is Jerry helped me understand her purpose of what she is to him, you know, and what, what the space that she has to serve in the show. It's a very important, you know, spot. You know, and they've given me a number that is just... Yeah,
4: please tell us about this number. Oh, yeah. people, are, people are talking about this number. Oh, I can't it wait. It is
3: a gift, a blessing, and a treasure to get to do this number <laughs> Like it's just every actor's like just like oh gosh it's just meat and potatoes it's so it's such a wonderful number that they've mu- musicalized this this fire that she's putting under, up underneath him to say like you need to get yourself together you know what I mean yeah. you tripping brother you know <laughs> you know what I mean but um but they've really like fleshed it out and I think it's the the spirit of her purpose is 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 way more important than I think it was like highlighted in the movie you know. Can can I just
1: say one, one briefly, um, it should be noted that the writers were really open to the importance of, and they continue to be, uh, the importance of making sure our female characters are three-dimensional, and it's been uh, invaluable to have Lauren as part of the creative team, because she's the one who'll say to a bunch of guys, wait a minute, she does this, she does that, she does this, she does that, that's what a woman in her position, and she forces us to look at the reality and hopefully be inspired in a way that's reflected in the music and the script. Yeah. Um,
4: another w- way that we would think about some of, some of what happens in Mrs. Doubtfire differently now than in 1993 is our ideas about gender and gender identity are completely different now. And so yeah. if, if a guy putting on a dress isn't actually funny, like Not in itself, all. then where's the comedy and where do you, where do you find it? Rob, that's a
5: great, that's a great question because it, it was very important to us that there wasn't a single moment where the punchline is because it's a dude in a dress. Because that's not a punchline anymore. That's not funny. Um, it, it's not. Um, so, what? What we're the lucky thing is that at the core of this story is a really great farce, and the farce is the comedy. The comedy is in the success or failure of the disguise. the the, the comedy is in whether or not. Daniel is pulling this off and the things that are going wrong and the pitfalls he encounters and and keeping this charade up Is where the comedy comes from? Um, And uh, it was really important to us, you know, while while we all understand that Mrs. Doubtfire is not transgender, right? It's a it's He's dressing as a woman to hide his identity not fulfill his identity, right? So we're not dealing with a transgender character, but that doesn't mean if the story is told in an irresponsible way that there can't be collateral damage to people who could be hurt by it. So it was really important to all of us early on, very early conversations. Is that the writers as well, Jerry? the, the right? writers and, and reaching out to transgender artists and transgender advocates and saying, "Like, hey, help us tell this story in a responsible way that is um, that keeps it about what we want it to be about," which is which is. Family and that there's no jokes at the expense of anyone. Um, that meant a, a lot to us, and I'm I'm uh, I'm proud to be a part of something that that was important to.
1: You look like you're about to say something. Yeah, no, just briefly, you know, uh, the farce works because the circumstances are life and death. You know, this uh, the, this man will do, and you know, we all have been touched by divorce or family breakups. A lot of us certainly, and it's life and death for him to get it back to get his children back, to be with his children. And when things are life and death, funny things, very funny things can happen. And that's uh, it's one of the things we try to keep in mind when we're putting the show together.
4: And Lauren, for you, as one of the female voices in the creative team room, um, what what do you feel like you ended up being sure to advocate for on behalf of sort of the female characters or sort of the thinking about gender and things
0: like that. Just the specificity of how much Miranda, the load that Miranda has taken on. I have a 21 month old daughter and, you know, and, and though my husband helps out around the house, you know, it's just, it's 2020, but the, there is, I recognize the load on women and I just sort of advocate for that. And Miranda, especially having a husband like Daniel we got to we got to, we just talked about really specific things that must have gone on how old
2: is your oldest child i have a 10 year old and a 4 year old and a great husband but the mental load on moms is different than it is on dads and it's, how old
0: is miranda's children
2: miranda's children are 15 13 and 9 so
0: for 15 years right? Miranda's been, you know, what did I say in the room that day for 15 years? Miranda's had some version of breastfeeding, waking up in the middle of the night, you know, maybe 10 years out of those 15 years with the way the kids divided down with ages. So it's, you know, I just wanted the the guys in the room to like really hear that, you know, 15, you know, you know, breastfeeding, 2am crying calls, that kind of thing. She's been doing most of it. (laughs)
1: Thanks. <laughs> yes, my daughters are 37 and 31. So I'm, but I, but I remember this vividly.
4: And as we mentioned, this shows from the uh, creators of Something Rotten. Does this? What can fans of Something Rotten sort of expect to see that will, that they will have like the, the sort of flair that they showed in something rotten what having done both of those shows yeah exactly um, rob
5: uh something rotten i um uh, those guys write incredible melodies you know what i mean and and you, you all have you know it's a musical that that type of musicality and the grammy winning ear of wayne kirkpatrick um so the score is beautiful and funny, and uh, the lyrics are as witty as any of the, you know. I remember the day I, in Something Rotten, I realized that there was an. In, I'm a big lyric nerd. I love lyrics, breaking down lyrics. And the day I realized that Saturday night, they had written a rhyme, an internal rhyme. The lyric is, let's just say it's a Saturday night and you want to go out on the town, got a lady to flatter who might give it up if you don't give her down. And I realized there was an internal rhyme with Saturday night and flatter who might. And I was like, you guys are brilliant! Uh, <laughs> but that so you can expect that um but i will say tonally it's completely different there is a bit of a parody aspect to something rotten that has a bit of tongue-in-cheek on the entirety of the production uh mrs doubtfire springs from a very earnest place um so uh, the genius of their composition
4: you can expect but the tone will be completely different and as we mentioned, this was the show was a great big hit in Seattle. Um, and you guys got to deal with you know, a lot of audience members. You got to talk to them and find out what they liked about it. What sort of surprised you all most about what they responded to? And what, what are some, of some memorable moments for you as you talk to the fans?
2: The, the brimming at the stage door. You know, you're signing autographs and they're so appreciative of, of the delightful time they had. But they're, they're really brimming with real emotion, From the story that we just told that was that was a surprise
5: there were two really big moments that affected me personally i went out the stage door and there was a 16 year old boy who who said can i give you a hug and i said sure and he started to cry on my shoulder and uh his his parents had told him to see this show because it was funny and he came and he said my parents got divorced two months ago i'm newly openly gay and hoping to have my own family one day Mm -hmm. and he said and i came to laugh and didn't expect this show to be for me in the situation I'm currently in, um, and that's what, you know. That's why we do what we do. My gosh! Um, and then there was another day. I, I warm up by running the seats of the theater, um, and I was at, and I I was running the house. I, I get to know all the ushers that way. Um, and uh, the house manager came up to me and said, "Hey, uh, can I tell you something?" I said, "Sure." Uh, she said, "There are two. There's an older female couple who has been fostering a child for three years, and." um they are they they saw the show and they got their uh 18 year old foster kid tickets for christmas to see the show because after the show they're going to tell the kid that they're adopting the (laughs) kid so i get to the end of the show and i'm doing like those of you who know the movie the moment when mrs doubtfire is sort of giving the monologue on her television show about family can be defined in a lot of ways (laughs) and i was like And all I heard was Jerry in my head, Jerry in my head going, if you're emotional, the audience isn't, if you're emotional, the audience isn't, and and, and I'm going like, (laughs) no, no. And I'm just going like, Mrs. Doubtfire is helping. Mrs. Doubtfire is helping. If Mrs. Doubtfire is caught up in the, in receiving the emotional language, she can't help. So help. Help this kid, help this kid. Um, and uh, just knowing that there were people in the audience who were going through these types of things, and, and uh, it, it, it's why we do what we do, and that was the laughter we all co- expect. And that's the part of what we do that is so. so I texted him uh, the second that happened because he had left, and we had opened by then, and, and he texted me back, Well, I'm a blubbering mess.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jerry, you always say that stories save lives. You always say that stories save lives, right? That Broadway and musicals that we're saving lives with the work that we're doing. And it, 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 does it, it moves me deeply that someone, one person might have a certain feeling about two men adopting a baby before they walk into the show. And I promise you, no arguing over Thanksgiving dinner, no reading articles in the newspaper is going to change that person's mind. But a show, a musical... We have the best shot at opening up what the, the definition of family, and it, it's really important work that saves lives it does. And people came back time and time again, over
3: and over and over again.
4: so the show's a big hit in seattle but uh you go into rehearsal was it what is it next week it's pretty soon um so jerry
1: what what kind of work do you want to do on the show between yeah what are we doing (laughs) Uh, no that's great i have an entirely new script now wait, wait 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 no a wonderful rewrite based on conversations that we had with the writers in Seattle and with Lauren and our musical director, the whole team trying to identify what could be better. And I have a script that just arrived w- within the last week that reflects that. I think we, the guys have succeeded in improving the material.
4: And what, what were those things that you feel you know, like? Well, I think
1: we, one of the assignments was to give Miranda a better sense of humor, you know, I mean, the the the, the risk in that. <laughs> no, no, make her wittier. Make her wittier. Make her smarter. Make her, you know, again, right from the film, she was always the no person. And she was the one who said no to Daniel. And, and you know, it was very dangerous that she become one-dimensional. And We're trying to make sure that in the writing she's given more dimension. We have a better ending to the play. Uh, the way the play ended in Seattle was... Not as good as it could have been, or specific. It almost felt like we ran out of ideas, and it was okay. <laughs> but we needed. No one uh, will
5: be more honest about our show than the director well, of our show. You know, <laughs> this is what doesn't work. And
1: and uh, and, and so yes, like that. Uh, uh, there's a new song being worked on, and reworking of several numbers. I mean, having the opportunity to do the show in Seattle was uh, really a godsend. You know because. I don't believe there's any show that uh, isn't better the second time around or at least shouldn't be better the second time around. So I'm very excited because um, we've got a lot of wonderful work to do and uh, with a great foundation and a bunch of actors that I love working with so much. And, uh, you know, it's it means everything to me. So, you know, yeah, that's it.
4: I would like to talk a little bit about quick changes, because as I, as I mentioned, I watched the movie before uh, talking to you guys, and uh, I hadn't seen it in a while, and even with all the movie-making magic of, you can cut away, and at one point they sort of speed up Robin Williams as he's, like, stripping out of the fat yeah. suit, they are so slow, those quick changes, on film, and yeah. you guys don't have the movie magic to try and speed it up, and nor do you even have the luxury of that kind of time, what... Please tell me about how it's that so works. It's
5: so cool. Can I just say it's so cool because you guys know, right? You all have that restaurant scene in your head, right? Oh, my God. Are they doing the restaurant scene? Yeah, we're doing the <laughs> restaurant scene. But now here it's so cool because you all know that every time Daniel runs into the restroom, he's got five and a half hours in a trailer in the movie. We're doing it in real time. Which is so fun. When he runs in that bathroom and then he comes out 18 seconds later as Mrs. Delphire, we're doing that.
2: 18 seconds.
5: um, And can I say, I have in this show, Beetlejuice, I had one quick change. I had one costume change and it was quick. (laughs) Mrs. Delphire, I have 31 costume changes. (laughs) Um, It is... and that is a that is a credit to our uh, incredible costume designer Catherine Zuber and and my little we call her Team Effie uh, Euphigenia. Yeah. Uh, Effie, How many people sure. are on Team Effie? That's what I wanted to know. There are four people now. on Team Effie, um, and uh, it's uh, we had shirts made in Seattle. It was very cute, Team Effie shirt. Um, but I will say it's a little like the Indy 500, where the car goes in to change tires, and you go, and then the car keeps going. That's what it looks like. Um, I actually
2: watched. So remember when you come in at the end of. Um, into the house yes. and, and you're rushing back after yep. or you're a big number. Yep. And and I'm on the steps and I for until like the end of the run I didn't realize if I turn around I can watch Rob getting undressed. Whoa. <laughs> where is this
4: where is this happening? Is this like in the wings there or this sort of one's right in off the stage? No, okay. Listen okay.
5: If, if the wing if the wing is here and here's the stage, I'm changing here that's as much time as i have yeah, yeah that's as far as i can go and
2: i did i wasn't really watching him get under no, but i was watching yeah, the, the indianapolis 500 thing and like clockwork i mean it's it was amazing. like it was really amazing and
5: and we're doing it i mean if, if i can tell you we've it's we've got bodysuit clothes shoes pantyhose earrings teeth wig glasses now it's just a really cool technically proficient transformation and it's all about uh, my dressers I have these amazing dressers who are um, yeah please you guys know what it takes um but it is it's an amazing it's an amazing thing and um I, I will I will forever owe a lot of it to two dressers who are locals to Seattle at the Fifth Avenue Theater, Randy and Marlis, who are local dressers in Seattle, who helped build that track who we will now teach to New York dressers, but I will forever be indebted to them for helping create the traffic that makes those changes happen. It's a
4: I owe them. And there is a prosthetic in the way that there is in a film—the prosthetic face.
5: There is there right. there is use of prosthetics for sure. Okay. Um, we learned a lot about how it should function, and there were early questions about whether you know how we were going to do that,
1: or if or if we were going to use yeah, yeah. right well,
5: because what's possible without you know without taking the time with adhesive and you know the, what normally requires you know it's not like Shrek where we can get into a prosthetic before the show starts and then stay in it for the evening. I've got
4: I've got to be in and out of it and. 18 seconds. And um, I asked you this uh, before we came on, but I, I think it's a fun answer. As I asked you, well, can you have makeup on as Daniel, put the Mrs. Doubtfire face on, and then take it off again and still have makeup on? It won't last long. Yeah. I'll tell you that much.
1: Because <laughs> eyeliner stays. I am
4: sweating. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, you know,
5: it, it, every time... It, it, my offstage traffic in this show is as complicated as in my onstage traffic. So if you're not looking at me, I'm, I'm probably... Doing, doing a quick change and doing my best to maintain my makeup, uh, whether I'm Daniel or Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, throughout the course of the evening, and that's all a credit to my team. Uh, this v- Victoria Tinsman, who is also my, uh, my wig and face and teeth and makeup person. Um, she's been really instrumental in helping with that, uh, maintain my face, regardless of uh, which character I'm playing.
4: And part of that, for Jerry and Lauren, I've, I imagine there must have been moments where, oh, we need another... 30 seconds here or two minutes or whatever to cover Rob getting in and out of whatever he needs to get in and out of. That's when I
1: would say, right, right, write me something (laughs) I need 10 more. No. Yeah, we had to. Yes, we did. There were several times when we had to figure out how to fill a a few seconds of change.
5: I remember it was really a wonderful compliment because there was a moment where you were like, can he enter sooner? And I said, I'm changing. And you had forgotten that. We're two uh, Mrs. Doubtfire and me are the same person. <laughs> I was like, why isn't Daniel entering sooner? Because I'm changing. I'm oh, so you just happy. entered as Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> you just exited as Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, but it is. It's it's uh. That it,
1: never happens. In
5: te- no, in tech. <laughs> in tech. Do you remember the day you were like, I'm forgetting that you're two different. Well, yeah, you're one, yeah, no, the same it person. would definitely
2: happen in tech. I would be. I, he would be in Mrs. Doubtfire all day, and like you lose. Rob, so then that like I like, I miss your face. You know, we,
5: we, we walk to dinner afterwards. Like, we, there you are. There when you we
1: are. Began, when we began, we were con- I was convinced or determined to avoid prosthetics if we could. Why? And then, well, because uh, they're cumbers- well, I thought they would be cumbersome. Slow us they down. They would look false. They would slow us down. It would be clumsy. But then I realized that not only were they be, were they able to be manufactured well. But they were, it was critically important when Rob, as Mrs. Dowfire, looked into Miranda's face or his children's faces that there'd be no way that they could possibly recognize Daniel. And without the prosthetic, it begged, it, it begged the question a little bit. With the prosthetic on, there was no question that Miranda could be staring right into Mrs. Dowfire's face and not know she was staring into the face of her husband, her ex husband.
4: Did, in Seattle, did anything go. Horrifically, hilariously wrong with that transition on stage.
5: Hallelujah! No, I mean there. There were a oh, sorry, couple of times... I didn't mean to curse it. No, 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 no. No, I will say, I will say there was there. Oh, there was one time where a zipper broke. Yeah. And I, I had to sort of like hold my suit closed on stage. Yes, yes. That that went wrong. Uh, but there were a couple of times where you know Mrs. Doubtfire should have entered. And you hear her say, I'll be right out before you hear. Like, there's about a three second, like, because I'm backstage, like, reaching for my teeth as I'm entering. Um, So, you you just just make it. this
2: guy, though, like, I mean, now I'm just gonna. Brag on now. Him first and, preview.
5: It's all going to go wrong. Much? Well,
2: no. I mean, really, everybody s- spit over your left shoulder. Whatever you have to do. But he he just makes it work. He ma- like any like when you were asking, oh, did we have to write? Did they have to extend time or write? Not often because like I've never worked with an actor as game as Rob McClure. Like he's just so willing to, to make it work, and the whole show owes a whole lot to that.
5: It's totally. very, very sweet of you to say It's very sweet of you to say But I will also say to, 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 to aspiring actors out there I will say that There's a bit of a strategy In how I choose to show Jerry things Because like the, the prosthetic If I know that his, he has concerns About the prosthetic being cumbersome And not working properly And holding us up If we have to wait for it Story wise We gotta keep the pace high then they would say, here's, here's the first draft of the face. Do you want to use it in rehearsal? No. On every break, I want to go in the other room and practice putting it on and taking it off. So by the time I show it to Jerry for the first time, it works. Because if I go in and fail in front of Jerry, I'm amplifying his concerns already. So there's a certain amount as an actor that you can get a read on what the concerns are and do your best to assuage those
1: concerns before you show it to them it's called protecting the possibility of a happy ending that's it that's it that's it you figure out what you want to have happen and make sure because you only have one chance to make a first impression you know so smart well done
5: thank you you.
4: (laughs) Um, we have time for a few audience questions so um i'm gonna look to this screen here and see a question that will pop aha um what is your favorite scene from the movie that you've adapted to the musical stage?
5: Lauren should answer this one. okay, Lauren, for me it's Go. Your, your your baby the the gigantic tap dance
0: oh so it, when in the movie when Mrs. Downfire is trying to cook for the first time and it all goes terribly <laughs> wrong, and you know at the end her breasts are lit on fire we we have a version of that that the writers wrote a a really witty and fun song. So, Gigantic production you know, number. So, you know, I just said tap dance, maybe? And, you know, as long as it doesn't, you know, like as long as I can understand what they're singing, you can try.
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, it made perfect sense, because at that point in the number, Mrs. Doubtfire thought she had Done it? Right. Yes. Right. She thought, "Eureka! I've got this done." Mm-hmm. Well, celebrate by doing a happy tap dance. So we do, <laughs> and we made... do
0: this giant tap break, w- w- celebrating that that you know, Mrs. Doubtfire turns the egg timer on as she puts her as uh, the food goes in the oven, and then all the the ensemble on stage that have been there, sort of helping Mrs. The Doubtfire idea is that cook. Mrs.
5: Doubtfire uses her iPad to 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 Google recipes. And and watch, you know, uh, all these celebrity chefs from the Food Network... Help Daniel figure out how to cook, so those characters come alive in the room with him and help him cook in a in a really fun way.
0: So, so tap yes. dancing. Sous I'm chefs. so thrilled you like that idea. <laughs> uh,
5: it's really cool. But that's what I mean about our our creative team. You know, choosing the moments in the movie to to musicalize. That's a really and, great example.
2: And not in the movie. To answer that question, I think my favorite one is actually it, it's from the cut scenes from the movie, and it is a song between him and his kids at the end and it that's when the whole audience is just like <sighs> so so they found that inspiration from scenes that didn't make it that's into right. the movie
3: one of my favorite moments is when um Andre and Frank are transforming Daniel into Mrs. Doubtfire for the first time. I stand in the wing every day. Every night I was in the wing, just like, <laughs> like just singing along and dancing, doing the choreography in the wings to this number, Make Me a Woman. It's just magnificent. It's one of my favorite moments.
4: <laughs> All right. And question number two from the audience Rob. Uh. How many unique different voices and impressions do you use throughout the show? And can you give us some examples?
5: Oh, my God. Well, first of all, my, my, the first time I ever performed in my life was in my fourth grade talent show, and I did impressions. <laughs> so I've been doing oh, silly dude. voices for a long time. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, first of all, it's a, a, yet again another credit to our collaborative team that they would, you know, they would write ten impressions. And I would get in the room, and I would say, hey, I think I can successfully pull off th- these seven. And then they would go, okay, great. Who are three that you do, that you know you can do impression-wise, and will write around the voices that you've got in your wheelhouse. Um, but there, oh, God, I, in this show, I do everything from, like, there's this little, oh, yesterday, you all met Mousy, the little Mousy puppet, um, who's, like, Elmo-inspired, who's
4: trying to learn how to rule a clock.
5: Um, and, uh, Everything from him to like, my God! There's oh yes, the entire cast of Star Wars is in. Uh, um, God, there's a what's a fun one to do for you? Oh, <laughs> for some reason in our production of Mrs. Doubtfire, Gollum from The Lord of the Rings shows up. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> do a little Gollum. Do a little Gollum. Uh, uh,
5: Broadwell kind
2: precious. <laughs>
5: We're sort door with our Um Yeah, it's a really weird job that I have. Um, but yeah, there's, there's probably I think I, somebody tried to count. I think Jake, who plays my son, tried to count, and it was uh, upwards of 25 um,
4: characters who appear throughout the evening. Not as many voices as you have. Quick changes, though. So. That's, That's right.: right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. just under. Yeah. Yeah. All right, next question. What's your favorite way the story has been updated for a 2020 audience? My favorite way. I
2: think it's the added the baby. I think yeah, the the extension of um, yeah. his brother Frank and. No, say
0: ahead. more,
4: say more, Lauren, please. Uh,
0: for for me, it, I cry every night when Frank and Andre finally. It 's a spoiler alert is that okay oh. that they that they they adopt the baby that they 've been talking about trying to do this whole night, so for me, every night I cry watching the show
5: and and I will say like you know that's a great example of one of the things from the movie that uh, that couple you know uh, Harvey firestein and Harvey firestein's partner um, is are, are a they're really a tool for comedy in the film um, and and I love the way the creative team has brought them into the Hillard family, and um, they have have very real wants and needs and concerns about what Daniel is doing. Um, I would say Andre, Mm -hmm. Frank's partner, Jay Jay Harrison G., um, is sort of the moral compass of the evening. He is is sort of the person going, this is a terrible idea with very real consequences. Um, and, uh, and, And Jay, as a human... Brings such a a wonderful um, point of view and personal life experience to this process that I think the creative team embraced. Um, But I would, yeah, I would agree with you that that Frank and Andre's relationship from the film has the expansion of their purpose in the story is is my favorite way it's been changed.
4: All right, I think we've got time for one more question. What's one scene that you aren't in that you wish you could be a part of?
2: Well, you can't say, like, really anything. <laughs> um, I want to be in her number. Yeah.
4: <laughs> you all will want to be in her number. Yeah. Oh,
3: I want to be in Make Me a Woman. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
4: Um, Jerry and Lauren, what scenes do you
1: wish you were in? That's a great question. That is. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I can't pick. I have no, I have no favorites, you know. I, you know, I have two kids. I like them both very much. You know. No, it's really hard. You know, you just, you know, all the scenes that work, those are the ones I want to be in, you know? But can, I, but can I
5: say, though, what's really cool is that the way that Jerry directs is because he
1: he was an actor. It, I was an actor for 10 years, and I loved it, and I stopped because I started directing things, but I lived through, vicariously through... My actors, and I call them my because that's just the way I feel, they are, and uh, um, they're family, and they fulfill something in me that used to be, as an actor, very important, very alive, and they keep it alive by the virtuosity and the fearlessness. You know, you can't do good comedy unless you're unafraid, you know, and these guys are really unafraid, and it's inspiring.
5: What number did you wish you were in, Lauren?
0: I just, you just, you know, I used to perform on Broadway. In fact, Jerry directed the first Broadway show I was in. So here we are, full circle. Yeah, Swing, circle. yeah. But I just, watching the dancers get to dance on stage, sometimes I just, there's a little twinkle in my eye. I sort of, again, I'm living through them. And now, I, I don't always just get the short girl roles. I can be tall and blonde and big guy. Go- I can do anything now as a choreographer, so I live vicariously through everybody.
5: Can I just take the opportunity to publicly say, I had a very fun revelation in rehearsal where the first week we were working together, Jerry and I, I was uh, I was going, I, I went home and I was telling my wife, I was like, you know, we have the same comic instincts. I was like feeling feeling myself going like I've got the same comic instincts as Jerry Zach's. We keep on coming up with really feeding off each other. And my wife was like, didn't you see every musical comedy that Jerry has ever done growing up? And I was like (laughs) It's because you were my teacher like, it's, I, I saw I saw that, that revival of Funny Thing Happen on the way to the forum three times Like my definition of musical comedy Is Jerry like, I, I, uh So it's, it's amazing to me That my instincts have been unknown to me Crafted by this guy um, I'm, I'm proud to work with you
1: Thank you
4: Right and it looks like we are out of time Thank you all for being here Thank you for joining us And thank you everyone Thank you to Jerry Jerry Zachs, Rob McClure, Jen Gambates, Charity Dawson And Lauren Letaro Um, You can find StageCraft On Spotify And Apple Podcasts And the Broadway Podcast Network And uh, I'll be back next week With another new episode So thanks for joining us Thanks all